This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the fortress of potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the cape podcasters and this is the show where the last thing you'll see is my heart still beating <laughs> i'm breaking out on my body and flying away like an indie out of a temple of doom i love that you're already making a meatloaf reference because i've got one later on and we'll get there that's so exciting because when I was watching this thing and I saw Malaram holding the heart, I was just like, fucking meatloaf, man. Fucking meatloaf. Kali Ma, breaking out of my body and flying away. That's what they say on the album, Bad Out of Hell. It's wonderful and it's unexpected when they get into the Indiana Jones part. Yeah. That being said, welcome to week number two of our Indiana Jones January, where this week we are talking about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom from 1984, directed by the Steven fucking Spielberg. Again. Still that guy, yes, in our Indiana jones uary That's even better than what I said, and <laughs> damn it, I appreciate <laughs> you. <laughs> now, Brian, have you seen this one? Uh, no, this is the first time I've ever seen this movie. So you've seen Raiders, now you've seen Temple of Doom, you've not yes. seen Last Crusade? I have not. But you've seen Crystal Skull? Yes, I have. That's that was insanity. the first one I saw. That is all insanity. That is not how any of this should ever work. No, absolutely not. But here we are. But here we are. Give me your thoughts on Temple of Doom. It is another Indiana Jones movie. Couldn't have said it any better myself. <laughs> he's there. He's doing stuff. Yep. That's exactly it. It's just this one's a, a tad bit darker. Just a tad. Oh, just a little bit. Just, just a, a lot of it. A smidge. <laughs> when this thing was made. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were both going through breakups. Spielberg was going through a, a girlfriend breakup, and George Lucas was going through divorce with Marsha Lucas, right? famous editor of Star Wars, and they were both pretty down in the dumps. And they were like, well, take it out on Harrison Ford. But that's insane to me because it takes so long to make a movie. They have like 70 plus shooting days on this thing, and they're just coming in, putting all their anger into this movie over that long of a period of time. You have to figure at some point you're either going to be A, exhausted of being angry all the time, or B, get the fuck over it. Yeah, that's true. Like, maybe try therapy. Maybe. And this is a weird way to do therapy, being racist and all. That's a very good point, because this movie is. Once again, just a lot. Yeah, exactly. A smidge. Just want to get into this thing? This is going to be a, a minecart ride through. We'll get there, actually. <laughs> we'll get there. I do want to talk about that when we get there. I can't wait. I'm very excited. We start the movie the way every sequel prequel should begin, with a full-blown musical number, half of which takes place backstage inside the mouth of a dragon, but hey, anything goes. I see what you did there. That's the name of the song. This is pretty much Steven Spielberg saying, I want to make a musical one day, and then he will in 2021. Yeah, like, he's not anywhere close to it here. <laughs> a long way away, but he will do it eventually. We're at a nightclub in Shanghai in 1935, and for those of you keeping track at home, yes, that is a year prior to the events of Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
We're in a prequel, baby! We're doing it. We're going back in time to start the story that we've already told some of. Exactly. I do have an actual IMDb trivia fact for you already. <laughs> I don't care for this. <laughs> and this one, uh, it blew my mind, Dave. I'm telling you, it was surprising because they really hid this. The nightclub in the opening scene is called Club Obi-Wan, an homage to the Star Wars character. Might as well have been called Club Heavy Hand because, oh boy. Yeah, uh, I've never seen this movie before, and I was like, that said Obi-Wan. It's one thing where they hid R2-D2 and C-3PO in the Well of Souls and the Hieroglyphics right. in Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's one thing, because you got to look yes. for that. That is an Easter egg. Subtle. This here is like if the Easter Bunny just sat on your chest and just started dropping little brown pellets all over you. <laughs> And then they end up in your lawn and your dog eats them and it's disgusting every single time. Yeah, that that's exactly what it's like. Do you don't think it is? I don't have a rabbit shit eating dog, so. Very, very fair. <laughs> I was surprised at how many lists had the, this as like a five things you missed about Temple of Doom. No, nobody missed it. I hate those lists too because they're all so cocky every single time. Yeah, it's like, oh, you definitely didn't see this shit. <laughs> <laughs> the words Obi-Wan taking up half of the screen. Ten things you would have seen if you weren't a fucking idiot. <laughs> so Indiana Jones, still <laughs> Harrison fucking Ford. Right. Shows up looking rather Bond-esque and has a sit down with Lao Che, played by Roy Chow, and a couple of minions who either are or are not supposed to be his sons. Also fair. Because one of them definitely looks older than him. Yep. Indy is delivering the remains of Emperor Nuhachi to the club owner in exchange for a large diamond known as the Peacock's Eye. You know, the old MacGuffin swap. Exactly. And I have another actual IMDb trivia fact. This should be illegal. You're speeding right now? So the problem is, you started hiding <laughs> Easter eggs in the IMDb trivia facts, so now I have to yeah. read more of them. How many do you think I left this episode? Because I left you one last week. It's just a teaser to let you know right. I could. I'm pretty sure I've figured out the magic bullet that they will always, always, always approve them. And I don't know how. That's wild. Um, I found three that I'm praying you're responsible for. I left four. Three of them have been approved as of recording right now. Oh, okay. So there is one that's still pending. Just we'll see. If the it's ether. there by the time we're done with this thing, I'll let you all know what it says. But there's definitely three that all are right. approved for something that houses the internet movie database. The all-knowing movie library of the world here. All the information imaginable. It is run by some idiots. <laughs> They'll just let anything they slip through. They really, really will. The actual IMDb trivia fact I have for you is this. The Lazy Susan rotating tabletop used to exchange items in the opening Club Obi-Wan sequence is still common in Shanghai restaurants. It's normally used for easy access to the multiple dishes served at meals. Well, all right, a little cabinet knowledge. Yeah, bam. Teach you about a lazy Susan right now. Thanks, IMDb. Susan's not that lazy, man. How did he even get that name? Right? She's doing more work than any other tabletop accoutrement. Right. The other tabletops just sit there, and you're just like, well, now what are you going to do, tabletop, you lazy bastard? Yeah, why Susan lazy? She at least moves this placemat, just sits there. They don't call it lazy. Unless this is like a, a weird Robin Hood men in tight scenario where at the end he's like, oh, and all toilets we known as John's. And it's like a punishment to King Henry's wife, Susan, and her laziness. Oh, it could be. It's, I always had to have her meals brought to her. Right. 
And you had to be twirling while you did it because well, she was fancy. Of course. Is that how it worked back then? <laughs> Let's just go with yes. Okay. Lau introduces Indy to Willie Scott, played by Kate Capshaw, the club's singer and Lau's quote-unquote girlfriend. Quote-unquote. Yes. So after the successful exchange of MacGuffins, Indy takes a sip of his drink and Lau starts cackling ominously as he pulls out a vial of blue liquid. And Willie's like, what's that? And Lau's like, the antidote. Oh, God, it's so beautiful. And it's such a cliche now that it everybody really uses. Is. Like, oh, man, it's so good. The antidote to what? Exactly. Obviously, Indy has just been poisoned. The old double cross. And I don't know why he drank this thing, because it wasn't there to start. And then it ended up on the Lazy Susan. If Susan's giving you something to drink, don't touch it. Exactly. It means it started somewhere else on the table. You can't know what's in that. Do you think that this scene right here, the poison in the glass here, is how Steven Spielberg came up with the name of Rufio <laughs> in Hook, like, years later? Uh, maybe. That actually would check out. Like, he just didn't get it out of his system here to double down. <laughs> I really want to send this home. I, I want people to, to remember this. <laughs> Indy's friend Wu Han, which is an unfortunate name now, is disguised as a waiter. And he's in this scene. Yes, he is. He pulls a gun and he threatens to shoot Lau if he doesn't give Indy the antidote. But then Lau's son and or lackey shoots and kills him, which naturally erupts the entire nightclub into a huge brawl. Right. And the gunshot is hidden by all these like champagne bottles popping open like crazy because, I don't know, when one goes off, everyone just has to pop them all around the room now because drama. Yeah, that's, that's how it works. You pop one bottle, you got to pop all the bottles. But I love this scene also because... Wuhan falls into like Indy's arms. You see the blood come across his chest. And there's a moment here where he's just like, yeah, we've been on so many adventures together, yada, yada, yada. It's like, this is cool that there's another story there that we don't right. know, but it feels like a world that's built. I yeah. love that. There's like a, a potential prequel to the prequel. That's some inception right there. That's just how George Lucas writes movies. That's true. <laughs> just start at the end, work his way backwards. Like, where's the drama, George? Oh, uh, there's no real drama. I just... Kept coming up with ideas before, and one day we're <laughs> going to get to that Big Bang. It's going to be wonderful. Oh, yeah, that, that's how they got there. Um, we'll just make another movie to explain how they got from there to there. <laughs> uh, George, we found another plot hole. Don't worry, the next movie will address it. I've got it covered. It's already written. i got a character <laughs> named Jar Jar. It'll be fine. <laughs> Can you just go into excruciating detail about what that plot hole is so that I just make sure that I have all my bases covered here when I correct it in the last movie? So there's this big, not a moon, it's a Death Star, but they had to pay for it somehow, so I'm going to have a whole thing with Galactic Federation and trading in the <laughs> whole prequel just to describe how that thing got paid for. That's always been the question. <laughs> it's very exciting stuff. And Jar Jar. <laughs> always Jar Jar. Misa moving on. Please. <laughs> Indiana Jones tries to grab the antidote while Willie Scott chases after that diamond because she's going to be in the movie now. Yes, she is. Instead, she comes across the antidote, slips it into her dress, and, you know, we're going to keep moving on. I love how when she's trying to get this diamond, you have the ice bucket get knocked over, and it's just a whole bunch of, of funny little mishaps that happen here, all while Indy's drugged. Yes, and it's phenomenal choreography for the slowest moving poison of all time. I don't know if it's the slowest moving poison of all time, or if all these people who are at this club just can't find an exit door, because... <laughs> How many people are in this place that they're able to run around this crazily for this many minutes? Like, 
The exits, they're going to be along the wall. Stop crossing the middles. <laughs> I wonder how many people tried to go into the mouth of the dragon knowing there's like a whole other world inside it. <laughs> it's like a Narnia situation. <laughs> it's like the TARDIS, but instead inside is just a bunch of dancers. That's right. It's Andrew Lloyd Webber's TARDIS. 100% would watch that. I absolutely would give money out of my own pocket to watch that, yes. So the one hench son is killed. Hench son. <laughs> so the other Lao Che's hench son, the second hench son, pulls out a machine gun and just starts wildly firing it at a packed nightclub full of people who I imagine he likes. They fund his extracurricular activities. They do fund it. It doesn't mean they have to like it, but we're not going to get into the semantics of power. Right. Instead, we're just going to fire this machine gun at a crowd, and Indy and, and Willie are going to hide behind a runaway gong. It's pretty great. It is pretty great. It's amazing that nobody else gets shot. We don't know that. We leave this nightclub. There could be just bodies everywhere. It That's could be true. like a drowning pool situation in there. <laughs> we'll never know. Yeah, because the gong crashes through a window, and Indy and Willie just follow it. And after several awnings slow their descent, they land in the back of a car driven by Indy's kid sidekick, Short Round, played by Ki Hui Khan. Who's crushing it? Who is absolutely crushing it. Apparently, he brought his brother to be auditioned, and they were like, no, we like you. You audition instead. And that surely didn't make dinners at home really, really awkward for forever. Oh, I'm sure it did. Hey, can you pass me the Masters? Can you fuck yourself, literally? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to be the kid in the movie. You just had to give me a ride. I was 11. <laughs> I wasn't giving you a ride. Um, Key, we're actually going to need you to drive this one also. We're going to need you to drive in this movie just to really stick it to your brother. Yeah, apparently while they were waiting, he was like coaching his brother like, oh, well, you should do this and you should do this. And they were like, no, you should do all that. And it's wonderful also because Kihoi Kwan did not speak very good English when he got this role. So they were actually feeding him lines kind of phonetically a lot of the time. And Spielberg and Harrison Ford had to kind of like work with him for like what the lines actually mean and what he should be doing in the scenes emotionally and whatnot. So this was a big team effort because this kid was perfect. That's funny because that's not the only character they had to do that for. And we will get there. We absolutely will. Andy reaches into Willie's dress to retrieve the poison antidote, but there's no time for love, Dr. Jones. We have company. <laughs> he'd watch. You know he'd watch. Oh, Keep 100%. Going, Indy chugs the antidote as the car chase begins, and of course, Willie drops Indy's gun into the chaos. Exactly! That's great! Indy's like, hold this! And she starts bobbling this gun around, just throws it to the window, and it's like, I hate guns! And now, it's Indy wonderful, doesn't man. have a gun for the whole movie. I love it. I love that so much, though. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Indy, Shorty, and Willie arrive at an airport with Lao Che hot on their tail, so Dan Aykroyd puts the three of them on a chicken plane. Still can never believe that it's Dan Aykroyd. Still. It's wild. I did not realize it was him until afterwards when I was doing this. And I was like, that was Dan. I went back and I was like, yup, that was Dan That's Aykroyd. Absolutely Dan Aykroyd. Blew my mind. Oh, yeah. Indy bids Lao farewell and the plane door closes, revealing Lao Che written across the door. That's probably not great. And the plane takes off. Once Indy, Shorty, and Willie all fall asleep on the plane, because, you know, they've had a day. They sure have. They've at least had a night. The pilot and co-pilot, they, uh, they dump the plane's fuel and parachute off that bitch. 
leaving our heroes to crash land into the mountainside and die. Roll credits. That's it. What a movie. What a film. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They have an inflatable raft. That's right. And I love how Indigo's try to fly this thing and they just quickly abandon that idea when he realizes the fuel's gone and that you're not just on a, a glider type thing. I, I love that line where she's like, you know how to fly a plane? He's like, how hard could it be? He looks at her and says, do you? <laughs> like, that's the perfect question. And it would have been shocking if she said yes. Yes, it would have. But yeah, they have an inflatable raft. And as you do when you are over snow-covered peaks, you pull that cord to jump out the door with this inflatable raft and you land on the mountainside. And now you have a nice sledding hill that you go down. Yeah. Yeah. You're just luzing down the Himalayan mountains over a cliff and into a raging river. Right. That seemingly came out of nowhere. I really like how one minute they're just snowy, then there's cliff and bam, lush green. And it is jarring, but you do accept it, which is absolutely strange. I was like, nope, that, that checks out because mountains, high snow. That's how it works. That's right, Brian. Yes. Apparently they did a <laughs> Mythbusters episode where they were like, yeah, no, there's, there's just no way. We tried everything to make it, people survive on an inflatable raft and they, they just wouldn't. Worth the try, though. Myth busted. That's right. <laughs> Also, their friendship is fake, and it still hurts me. Yeah, that is still a bummer. Their friendship was the myth the whole time. <laughs> and no one could bust it. No one could get on their level. The real myth was the friends we made along the way. That's like the ultimate grift, though, when you think about it. That's if true. If you come up with a show called Myth Busters, and you're all buddy-buddy the whole time, and then after, you bust your own myth of friendship. Bam. Plot twist. Take a note, M. Night. <laughs> so they eventually come to a stop near a desolate village in india and they know it's india because india looks up and there's an indian man standing on the shore that's right <laughs> uh, let the problems begin the village shaman marhan played by dr nana yakahara repeats the mouth sounds that spielberg tells him to <laughs> and delivers the following exposition the sacred Shiva Lingam stone was stolen from them by evil forces of the nearby Pankot Palace. When the stone was stolen, the village's crops burned, the people began to starve, and also they kidnapped all the children in the village, which seems like something you might want to lead with. Yeah, that seems like a good spot. But no, they're just like, we want our magic rock back. We don't care about the kids. The kids, Indy, the kids. <laughs> Debra! Debra, get the rocks, Debra! <laughs> A young boy, one of the missing children, returns to the village, carrying with him a piece of cloth with some Sanskrit on it. And this kid is, quote-unquote, acting! He sure is. I've never seen anybody fall over with such fervor. Fervor's a good word. <laughs> it's not one I use often, but it felt appropriate. I feel like it's reserved for whatever this kid is doing <laughs> in this film. It's like a fervor dream. That's right. <laughs> The writing on the piece of cloth gives Indy a new clue about the missing stone. He thinks that this stone may be one of the fabled Adi Shankara stones. That's a thing. It sure is, and he gets really excited about this because it just means fortune and glory for him. Oh, who doesn't love fortune and glory? Maybe Indy. I don't know. <laughs> he gets excited about it, but it doesn't ever seem to be like, that's what he wants. Right, right. The village's elder believes Shiva sent Indiana to retrieve the object. So now, guess what? We're going to retrieve that object. We sure are. Where else? What are we doing here? So they all head out toward the palace, riding elephants, looking at giant bats a lot, even though they'll never factor into the story. 
playing cards, even though short round cheats. Typical adventure stuff. We've all seen how it goes. They eventually make their way to the palace, where they're met by the Maharaja's major domo, Chatter Lal, played by Roshan Seth. Also, crushing it. He's very good. He's also entertaining the local British regiment leader, Captain Blumbart, played by Philip Stone. I wish we saw more of him, because I feel like he has the ability to crush. Yeah, he, he seems crushable. Like, the pins are all set up, but I feel like we cut away from him too fast to see if he knocks those bad boys down. Right, he's just like, hey, this guy's here, just, you know, gonna be an interesting thing later. But right now, he's, he's here. <laughs> he's right here. I hope you remember his face. <laughs> or else this ending is not gonna land. That's very true. <laughs> Lal invites Indy, Willie, and Short Round to join them for dinner with the Maharaja himself. But this is not your typical Indian food dinner. There's no tikka masala, no korma, no vindaloo, no Rogan Josh. Instead, we get Rogan Joe. <laughs> In fact, this scene might be why Joe Rogan is a thing. Oh, God, you just made me hate this scene. It's one of the few scenes in this movie that I love. <laughs> well, thanks, Indiana Jones. Oh, Indy goes ruining everything good, doesn't he? <laughs> We're eating snakes and bugs and monkey brains and eyeball soup. And it's all just an excuse to keep you entertained while the other end of the table drops mad exposition. That's right. And you know what? Good on you, movie. It's totally the right works. move. It absolutely works. <laughs> just watch Short Round and Willie act against the serious thing happening at the far end of the table. Beautiful. Andy questions Lal about the villagers' claims, and Lal's like, well, they sure are a superstitious lot. And then Indy brings up the history of the area, and that it was once a center for a fanatical religious cult, the Thuggy, who worshipped the Hindu god Kali. Lal becomes angry when Indy claims that the sacred stone was stolen from the village, and the Maharaja weighs in saying he's ashamed of the Thuggy's history in his region. Indy apologizes for offending the Maharaja. Who's just a kid, by the way. We should state that. He is a child, which, you know, really factors into Willie's plan to woo him and marry him because, you know, rich. Oh, this is George Lucas again. So, you know how last movie we had Indy and the 10-year difference? So let's flip that <laughs> because we're original and we'll try to go the other way with it. Yeah? That worked for everybody? Doesn't matter. I'm George fucking Lucas. <laughs> really into the age difference thing. Yep, even though it's not going to get pursued. Thank God. Yeah, that's good. Because it's right about this time that Indy suddenly realized that despite her name being Willie, Willie's actually a woman. That's right. So now they're going to have sudden and stubborn sexual tension. The best kind. I completely agree. There's really no other sexual tension that I care for unless it comes out of nowhere. Right. And it has to be very stubborn. Very, very stubborn. There has to be a winner. Has to be. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, what's the point? I completely agree. They have a standoff over who wants to bone who more, but it gets interrupted when Indy is attacked in his room by an assassin. That's not what you want. You're wanting to have the sex. You don't want to get the killed. That's the, basically the opposite. Is it though? <laughs> Ending life instead of creating life, Dave. I mean, there's certain people out there who, who would really get off on what's going on to Indy in that room. That's true. <laughs> just a lot of choking really really horny scene when you break it down that far and there's also people who like to get yelled at and that's about to happen also so indy might be living somebody's wet dream here because willie's gonna charge out and be like i could have been the best thing you ever had instead he's busy with the dude in his room while short round watches 
Right. And I almost said like Seinfeld, not like there's anything wrong with that, but with the child watching, there is. There is. There is. <laughs> that that part, there's that's not okay. Not okay. I do have another actual IMDb trivia fact. And this one I'm not sure about. Meaning? Well, there's conflicting reports about when Harrison Ford suffered this injury, whether it was during this scene or if it was when he was riding an elephant. But okay. I'll, just re- I'll just read the fact. <laughs> okay, because we know IMDb. Famously correct. All the time. Always. Harrison Ford suffered a herniated disc in his back in the scene where he is attacked in his bedroom by a thuggy assassin, causing production to be shut down while Ford was flown to Los Angeles for spinal surgery. A large portion of Ford's work in the fights and chases in the Temple of Doom is actually performed by stuntman Vic Armstrong. Normally, special care needs to be taken to hide a stuntman's face from the camera, but this proved to be largely unnecessary since Armstrong bore an uncanny resemblance to Ford at the time, both in face and body dimensions. So a large amount of what you said is true. Okay. Because again, we researched the hell out of these movies. And I've been going through the definitive making of Indiana Jones. It's a great book if you're into production stuff. Harrison Ford hurt his back on the elephants. That's what I thought. He said that riding an elephant is so unnatural because the way you sit on it, you're kind of getting pulled in different directions because you're not just sitting on its spine. You're sitting over its legs. Right. And they're just gigantic. So it's like pulling you as it walks. He definitely had a herniated disc. He definitely hurt his back doing other fight scenes and eventually just had to say, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. They did fly him to LA. They did not shut down production. That's wild. Harrison Ford was gone for seven weeks. Your lead actor is not there for seven weeks. And Steven Spielberg said, that's fine. We could still shoot around him. That's insane, because he's in, like, every scene. It's Indiana Jones, the movie. That's, it's his name. Yeah. His character's name is there in the title. They shot around, Vic Armstrong did do a large majority of the fight scenes here. Uh, Also against Pat Roach later on, the Mm -hmm. rock-crushing scene. That's a lot of Vic Armstrong. And eventually, they just did close-ups with Harrison Ford and just edited the fuck out of it, because that's one the movie's really made anyway. And, man, does it work. It absolutely works. Uh, so, you know, good on Vic Armstrong for just being that stuntman that looks a lot like Harrison Ford. Right. Doing a good job looking like the guy who you're paid to look like and do the stunts of. Good job doing your job. That's right. After the assassin accidentally hangs himself with Indy's whip, which is another thing that somebody might be into. That's right. Indy goes and checks out Willie's room for threats, instead discovering a secret windy doorway to an underground temple beneath the palace. And he discovers it because he sees a draft coming through the wall and it hits the flowers. The flowers are all dancing because of the wind. And then he just walks over a statue, grabs his boobs and pushes and boom. And Willie's <laughs> like, I'm right here. <laughs> oh, man, which is actually a great line. I'm a it big is. fan of that. And I think it proves who wanted to bone who more. That just makes you kind of think, like, what else could be, like, a secret lock? Like, what else do you have to do? <laughs> like, you have a dong, you got to lift the shaft and you got to. <laughs> kind of Andy Dick old school it <laughs> as you're sitting there. It's like, that's what opens it up. <laughs> wow, I'll never look at the Batcave the same way again. No, 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 no. Indian short round go to investigate this hidden tunnel system. First walking through a dark room just full of bugs. It's a bug tunnel. So many bugs. Yeah, it's not snakes this time. They went with bugs. Also gross. Uh, also gross, but doesn't affect India as much. It doesn't. I think here's the right time to talk about Ben fucking Burt. Yes, let's talk about Ben fucking Burt. Ben fucking Burt 
is probably the most famous sound designer to ever live. And it's mostly because he did the Star Wars movies. So he came up with all of those space sounds and all those famous sounds like lightsabers and whatnot. Right. And Darth Vader's breathing. You name it. Like, this guy is just a cultural legend when it comes this to This is the design. guy that invented... That's right. He did all the Indiana Jones movies as well. And he reused a certain sound here that he used in the Well of Souls with the Snakes in Raiders of the Lost Ark, because in that flick, he realized that the snakes just aren't making any noise for the These most part. These snakes don't sound like snakes at all. They don't. It wasn't dramatic. It wasn't cinematic. So instead, his wife made a cheese casserole, and he just put his fingies in it. And that's how he got the snake sound. And here, in Temple of Doom, he dug those fingies right back in a cheese casserole, and that's how he got the bug sound, too. Yeah. Macaroni in a pot. That's it. That's some wet-ass buggies. Ben fucking Burt. Ben fucking Burt. The man who turned a Civic into a boulder. Yes, he did. (laughs) So after they get through this room full of bugs, they wind up sealed off in a room where the spiked ceiling starts falling onto them, descending to crush them. It's absolutely not the same thing as the garbage compactor in A New Hope. And how dare you suggest that? It's definitely, definitely not. It's not just a trap room for the sake of there being a trap room. Right, the ceiling comes down. The walls don't move at all. It's very different. It's true. So the difference between walls and ceilings is one's on the sides of you and the one's above you. Above you. Right, right. If you watched more This Old House, you'd understand. (laughs) Exactly. Bob Vila probably has made a number of kill rooms. Oh, for sure. And he could tell you all about the difference between trash compactor walls coming in and being dramatic and snake monsters on the ground and whatnot in the water, grabbing Luke and pulling him under. And also- Collapsing spike ceilings that do not move at the same speed that they're supposed to. <laughs> like, you see it coming down. It's coming down pretty damn fast on Indy. It, it really is. And then, you know, action plays out outside the door because Willie decides she's going to try to save the day. Right. And she doesn't like bugs and she doesn't have any sense of urgency ever. No, she is. She's taking her sweet ass time venturing through the bug room to reach into the hole to pull a lever to save Indy in short run, which I'm pretty sure is the inspiration for another challenge on Fear Factor. <laughs> Good chance. <laughs> this whole movie just inspired Fear Factor and Joe Rogan's entire career. I feel like, you know, at the end of like It's a Wonderful Life, like every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. I feel like anytime anyone watches Temple of Doom, a Joe Rogan blows his load. <laughs> anytime someone reaches into a dark hole and pulls a lever and there's a lot of bugs, Joe Rogan gets a podcast. So I have to imagine, like, you have that 4th of July weekend where they have, like, an Indiana Jones marathon, and Joe Rogan just, like, is sitting in his room, just all tantric, just waiting. It's like, oh, <laughs> man. What time does it start? All right, if Raider starts at 11, that means Temple of Doom's going to start right around 2. Let me get comfortable. Let me get comfy. This is going to bring the water. This is going to get ugly. <laughs> got to stay hydrated. i got to get in my isolation pod because fear is not a factor for Indy. Spoilers. All the food on Fear Factor that they ate and bugs and whatnot was all FDA approved. You know, that makes sense and also is disappointing. Anything to ruin Joe Rogan, I'll say. The real myth was the friends we made along the way. You think a guy is just so cool because of the Fear Factor. Then you, he puts on a podcast and you find out he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Aliens, man. Aliens, man. Anyway. You keep talking. I'm going to use this dewormer. <laughs> he said it's fine. Oh, good. Fear's clearly not a factor for you. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to need you to eat this worm because fear's not a factor. And I'm going to need you to take this dewormer because science. <laughs> you need to use them in tandem. It's the only way we can legally 
let you do this. Right. I need to give you a worm to get rid of the worm, or else what am I even doing here? If you do it in the opposite order, you're really fucking up. That's right. <laughs> That's how you end up with a worm. That's how you end up with a, a brand new worm. That's what we were going for. Don't name it. It gets too real then. <laughs> so the three of them continue into the temple after Willie triggers the ceiling again. So the only way now to get out is to go through. They arrive at a giant throne room, and they're just in time to witness a thuggy group practicing an ancient ritual of black magic and human sacrifice to Kali. Lucky? They are lucky, because Indy even points out, like, no one's seen this for like a hundred years, which isn't that long of amount of time, I think. Or to say hundreds of years. Either way, it wasn't as impressive as I thought it would be, like, time-wise. Yeah, and it's also weird they just decided to choose a night that, like, they had guests. <laughs> right? Like, Maybe oh, they yeah. want to get caught. You know, some people into that, Brian, also. That's true. Captain Blumbert was here tonight. You know what we should do? Ritual sacrifice. Boom. Let's do it. Oh, random inspection? You know what we should do that night? <laughs> so the cult's high priest, Mola Ram, played by Amrish fucking Puri, yep. reaches into the man's chest, pulls out his still-beating heart, and then sends him slowly, this is key, down a hole into the fiery pit below. I have so many questions about this, and this is my first time, like, really asking questions and not okay. just accepting. Because, yeah. yeah, he reaches into his heart, pulls it out. I'm okay with that. Call I've seen Dumb and Dumber. I've yeah. seen it. It's fine. He holds it up, and the thing lights on fire in his bare hand. I'm less fine with this all of a sudden, because now it's just dripping, flaming heart as it falls. Just so much fire. The thing I'm even less okay with about this is the guy is in like this weird cage, the sacrificial man. Yes. They put him in standing up, and then he falls backwards. Now he's on his back in this type of cage as he's locked in there, locked in place. It lifts up, and then it flips him forward all the way. Yeah. In order to put him over this pit of lava. Right. The blazing vortex to hell. When you are making this, this mechanism that does it, why would you even let it go backwards at all? Just go forward. It seems easier. Like, engineer-wise. Maybe the backwards part is so you get easier access to his heart. But he's in there already. He's upright when the heart gets pulled out of him. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. We should ask Bob Vila. Bob Vila would know. You know what? Tack it on as a follow-up question to our, our garbage compactor versus trap room spike ceiling question. We'll tack it on. Just get it all, all answered at once. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be the weirdest DM he's ever gotten. <laughs> and also... These thuggy come off as really, really prissy with all this pageantry that they have to go through for the sacrifice. Oh, yeah. Because as the man is being lowered into this lava pit, you have Molaram holding the heart up going, Kalima, Kalima, in front of all them, and they're chanting and smiling and having a friggin' ball out of it, all the people worshiping. It's like, they're on the stage in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if most of them are just happy that it's not them being sacrificed. So do you think he got just, like, picked out at random? Like, he's one of them who was worshipping? They're like, yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, where else are they going to pull from? That's a good point, I guess. That's a real shitty day of worship, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, as far as worship days go, the one where you become the sacrifice is the worst one. Without a doubt it is. Everyone else there is going to be enlightened. You're going to be dead. Yeah, but it's going to look really cool when your heart lights on fire outside of your <laughs> body. true. While you're still alive somehow. Because it heals. It closes up, and then he's just there. And even Indy's just like, what the fuck? But he still doesn't have a heart to pump his blood. He's not going to need that anyway, really, really shortly. I feel like 
the shelf life of a human body, while heartless, is very short. So you're saying it's not sort of like a, a chicken head cut off situation. I feel like it's more of like a push him down the hell hole instead of lowering him slowly once you have his heart. That's pretty fair, actually. Even though Molaram would be a kick-ass open-heart surgeon. How he just reaches in there, pulls it oh, out, yeah. and you see him just like... Stitching up art. Slaps it back in there. <laughs> oh, wait. We don't know that he has the ability to put it back. That's also true. He sucks on it. He goes... And it goes... <laughs> spitting out all the plaque and whatnot. It's like, Dr. Molaram. Jeez. It's the less frequently used Molly Ka to put the heart back in. <laughs> That's right. That's in the end of the book. No one gets there. So now that that's all done, everybody can go back to business as usual, and they all just leave. <laughs> they leave very, very quickly, or Indy, Willie, and Short Round just hang around a long time. For a very long time. It's one or the other. But now it's time for Indiana Jones to do what Indiana Jones does best, and that's whip-based parkour and MacGuffin recovery. Couldn't have put it any better. He makes his way over to the rocks, throws them in his satchel, and is about to leave when he hears the screams of children coming from behind the shrine to Kali. Meanwhile... Willie and Shorty get totally captured. Just so captured. The most captured that you can get. And they're yelling pretty loud, but Indy can hear instead the, the screams of the children who are farther away and in a different room. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, Logic, stay out of here. No, no get out of here. We're talking We're... Temple of Doom, Logic. Go, get out of the room. Why don't you go hang out with Joe Rogan, Logic? <laughs> Never ever going to happen. One can wish. Oh, gosh. It's just like, what else isn't in that room? <laughs> I can name a lot. Indy finds a large excavation site behind the sacrificial chamber where kids are being forced to work. They're also being beaten and whipped, which is not what you want to see with, when it comes to children. Or really anyone. Yeah, that's not cool. Whips and chains. Oh, you know what, though? When you put it just at that and you, you hard stop, it's fine. When right. you say, with children, though. That's it's when, not like yeah. a married with children. Like that, that's, <laughs> a, that's a great show. When you say whips and chains with children, it's like Al Bundy's not getting anywhere close to that. No, 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 no. That would, it's a lot worse than just women's feet. That's right. <laughs> Andy throws a rock at one of the guards because he, he's like, yeah, you're, I'm mad because you're doing stuff to, to these children. And then he just also gets immediately captured and then tortured. And I have another actual IMDb trivia fact. There's so many right now. Yeah, this is another long one, too. Oh, great. While filming the whipping scene, the crew played a practical joke on Harrison Ford. While he was chained to a large stone, Barbara Streisand appeared dressed in a leather dominatrix outfit. And she proceeded to whip him, saying, That's for Hanover Street, the worst movie I ever saw. And then she continued whipping him for Star Wars and making all that money. And then Carrie Fisher threw herself in front of Ford to protect him. And Irvin Kershner <laughs> chided director Steven Spielberg, is this how you run your movies? And this entire sequence, of course, was filmed. That sounds like something I would write. It does sound like something you would write. And it's not. And that's what's kind of blowing my mind right now. <laughs> Isn't that wild? <laughs> that's insane. If any of that's true, that's insane. It's got to be like a, a bonus on a DVD somewhere or something. Or someone else figure out the magic bullet for getting stuff approved. Uh, oh, I can only hope. And we'll get there, because the thing I typed yeah. that wasn't approved, it's approved. Oh, no. And I'll just tell you what it said now. Sure. I wasn't sure how many I actually submitted for this one, because I did it like two weeks ago to start. And the only way I could check to see how many I have 
contributed to IMDb was by submitting another one. And all this one says is, nothing new. Just wanted to say hi and have a nice day. <laughs> and that is now that on is the IMDb Trivia Facts of Indiana Jones the Temple of Doom on IMDb. IMDb Trivia Fact. Nothing new. Just wanted to say hi. Have a nice day. It's true. It's on IMDb. It's true. And someone's going to find that helpful, and his name is probably Joe Rogan, and I hate everything. <laughs> so it turns out the thuggy possessed three of the five ancient stones, which isn't quite meatloaf math. So they <laughs> enslaved the village children to dig for the last two stones so that Molaram can use the power of the five united stones to rule the world. That's insane. That is absolutely insane. And it also says that they got plenty of time to solve this problem. He's got three stones. It seems like he doesn't unlock the key till five. So. Right. All right. We don't have to solve this today. Yeah, the kids are going to still suffer, but let's uh, take a second, regroup here, figure out a plan. The plan so far is just whip these kids and let them dig. They're not even digging, like, in a, a good way. And now I know I'm talking about child slavery here. <laughs> <laughs> When you look at them, like they're all like right next to each other, just lightly tapping on rocks. It's just like, yeah. listen here, guard, mean man, shifts, do shifts. You keep these kids fresh longer. Exactly. These are just the worst miners. <laughs> Boom. I'm done. This show is over. It's not going to get better than that. That is my favorite play on words. Wow. <laughs> This has been fun. How many episodes did we make it? Uh, 157. We did oh, it. Oh, that was, what a run. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so Indy, despite being very captured, is like, I'm not going to let you get away with this. Which is, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he pulls that off. Because he's being whipped. He sure is. And he's being whipped because they're about to give him the blood? They're about to give him the blood. The blood of Kali. Which, of course, just turns you into an obedient slave. Right, so they give him the blood of Kali, and then he just spits it out. And I love this scene because it's pretty much Malaram just going like, no, torture him just a little longer. I got to go refill. <laughs> and that's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we got to kill time somehow. And boy, this movie has dragging parts, and this is one of them. This is one of them. Oh, he spit it out. Well, next time, hold his nose or something. Right, we got to do this in real time for realism. I need to go get another glass. <laughs> Are we going to have any developments plot-wise while you're... No? No, no just... No, okay. just going to whip him harder. So now Indy is a shirtless slave to Mularam and Kali. I like how that's how they figure out, like, evil Indy. Just shirtless. Yeah, just take his shirt off. Put, like, a, a mark on his forehead. That's evil. <laughs> that's it. Gets me every time. And he's standing out there on that stage because even though they, they only do this ritual very infrequently, they're going to do another one right now. Right this second, I don't even know how they gathered everyone back in. Like, you got to imagine these weird cult people are, like, in their bunks with their sneakers and whatnot. Right. And they hear, like, the, the cult horn go off. They're like, already? We just worshipped for the first time in 100 years. You want us to come back? We did we forget did something? This. We were just trying to act casual around Captain Blumbert. But I guess, all right, back to the sacrificial chamber. <laughs> it's a good thing we didn't put out all those torches in that large cave room. That would be a bitch to relight. So they're back in the sacrificial chamber, and they wheel out Willie to be offered as the next human sacrifice. And this is where it's really important that they lower the person slowly to their death. That's right. It goes just as slow as the Bob Vila spike room did. Short Round frees himself from his restraints in the mines and escapes back into the temple, where Willie is about to be sacrificed to Kali. 
and he's desperate to help Indy because Indy's just like totally brainwashed. So he burns him with a torch, and that's what snaps him out of the trance. Just real easy. Burn him in the leg, and now he's like, oh, I have the foresight to now act as though I was not just hypnotized. <laughs> I mean, I am still hypnotized, but wink. I'm going to wink in front of all these people, and no one will notice. They it. don't know what winking is. They have They're no evil. Clue. That's right. Evil people famously get confused by one eye closing and not the other one. <laughs> hey, that was a weird blink. But if fire is the only thing that breaks these people out of this trance, what if you have like one of these guys who has to light all these torches in this cave and he like accidentally burns himself one day and he's like, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> That's a great question. Maybe you just have to have one guy who really believes in the cause to be the torch lighter. <laughs> That's very fair. <laughs> he's there of his own accord. Oh, uh, completely brainwashed person. All right, uh, we got to get these torches lit. Go get Joe Rogan. <laughs> He'll do anything for a buck. That's right. Everyone look at Joe Rogan lighting all those torches, being all brainwashed, believing whatever anyone tells him. <laughs> all right, Joe, we light these torches. We'll give you a dewormer, you weirdo. <laughs> and you're totally not FDA-approved bugs to eat. Mm-mm-mm. You're so tough. So now that Indy is snapped out of his trance, together he and Short Round take out Molaram's guards and stand on the edge of the fire pit triumphantly, raising their hands over their heads, and they free Willy. <laughs> you are on a roll tonight, buddy. <laughs> Willy's like, hey, we should probably escape, right? And Indy says, right, all of us. And they go to free all the child slaves. Good for them. It's the thing the old man just put as a thought on the back burner, and they're putting it here on the front burner. The front burner is where the freeing child slaves goes. Good job switching burners. In the fight to escape the palace, the three jump into a mine cart and are pursued by thuggy-filled carts through the tunnels. And this is amazing. This entire sequence just always blows my mind because this is a carryover from the original Raiders of the Lost Ark script right. that they said, we need to put this thing here, now. Because this was too good of an idea in the first movie. It's got to live here in the second movie. They pulled this thing off beautifully. Because this is a chase scene on tracks. So you have to figure that the idea of catching up is really, really bad. Because now they're just going to be next to you. Right. But they still make it feel really dramatic. Even though they're both going in the same direction. The At the same clip. speed, as far as I could tell. The way they did this is that a lot of miniatures were used. And it is an actual roller coaster. It felt like it. I was like, this is this is neat. I feel like I'm actually on a ride right now. They had two separate tracks that ran side by side. One of them was for the mine cart. The other was the dolly track. And that's how they were able to kind of keep up with it. So they had to match the speeds and whatnot. And when they did the miniature shots, you could tell it's a miniature shot. Every single time, you could tell it. But the actual way that it's decorated, the caves, it's just aluminum foil painted. Amazing. That's it. So they said, like, yeah, this is the best $1.98 we've ever spent. We got a full movie set out of it. I found it interesting that they used just a regular Nikon camera that they modified so they could use film stock with it. And then they, they basically stop-motioned the miniatures. It was just easier. They said the smaller the camera means the smaller the set. It means the more we can actually get in there. Exactly. We can really make our aluminum foil work that much harder for us. And once again, Ben fucking Burt shows up. Oh, he sure does. And he got the sounds for this. By getting permission to go to Disney after dark, after hours, and just riding all the rides. 
and recording the sounds for it. The man's a genius. What a great night, or whatever it was for Ben fucking Purr. Absolutely. It's like, hey, you know what will be a good way to get the sound of, like, tracks? I have an idea. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely it brilliant. It really is. So Indy, Willie, and Shorty managed to throw off their pursuers, but back in the mine, Mola Ram and his men topple their giant underground temple water tower. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> everybody's got to have one of those. <laughs> right. And they send the water into the mine tunnels, and the water is going to be coming at them. Like, it's really? It sure will. That's what it's going to do. And But they, they barely manage to escape the rushing water, and they emerge on the stone wall of a canyon where all mines lead. That's right. It's that old gag that you know oh so well, where the tunnel just ends, and now you are cliffside. Willie and Shorty make it across the janky bridge, but Indy's only halfway across when they are suddenly surrounded by Molaram and the thuggy on both sides of the bridge. It's not great. Not where you want to be, especially if you're Indy. Yeah. And they are gaining on him. They're just, you know, slowly crossing that bridge, pinning him in the middle. What, what, what do you do? What could you possibly do? I'll tell you what Molaram does. He gets his hands dirty. He says, I'm not going to let my henchies get all the glory from surrounding the Indy man on this thing. He's got the stones. He's threatening to throw them over the bridge. And Molaram just says, do it. We're going to find him again. Just going to end up in the water. There's stones. They're going to sink, bud. Exactly. We got time and we got kid slaves. Well, we did have kids. We can get more kid slaves. We can get more kid slaves. Everyone's always having kids. Exactly. So Molaram starts walking Willie and Shorty out over the bridge. Mm. And that's when Indy raises up the sword and tells Shorty and Willie, you better hold on. I like that he's like, earlier in the movie, he's like, I only speak Mandarin in special occasions. And this apparently, this is the special occasion because he tells Short Round, brace yourself. And I love Willie's reaction. Like, what do you say? And Shorty just goes, Oh, we're going for a ride. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> and then Indy uses a machete to cut the bridge in half. It's awesome. It's so cool. I love the way the sand on the bridge stays there as the bridge collapses. It's so well done. And you see some people falling off the bridge. You see it kind of split ways. Now you have one half of the bridge going up against the one rock wall, the other half going against the other rock wall. We don't care about the other side ever. Nope. We're concerned with our hero side rock wall. Rope, now ladder. Right. Rope bridge, temporary ladder. It's kind of like Mitch Hedberg <laughs> escalator The escalator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I think. But now they got to somehow get up off of this rope ladder. Exactly. They got to climb it. That's, that's really all it comes down to. The problem is there's good guys and bad guys on this ladder, which makes climbing difficult. That's true. But what helps also is that Molaram is using his own men to try to knock off Indy by just throwing him just at him off throwing the throwing him at him. That's how you know true evil. So a whole mess load of the thuggiers sent plummeting to the crocodile-infested river below where they're eaten. But I feel like the crocodile-infested river alligator, whatever they are, I feel like that's like such an afterthought. Like they don't need to be there yeah. at all. Like it's a Butch casting the Sundance kid situation of like Sundance saying like, I can't swim. And Butch is just like, you crazy? It's the fall that'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Even if you survive the fall, Crocs. That's... Crocs, man. Killer Crocs. Killer Not Crocs. Not DC property. Important to note. But it comes down to Molaram versus Indy in the final battle for the stones. And the evil priest is like, those are mine. And Indy's like, mm-mm. I invoke the name of Shiva, yelling that Ram had betrayed the Hindu god. And then in his satchel, those rocks start glowing. And they burn a hole right through his man purse. 
<laughs> it's a Merce. And they start falling into the river. And Mullah Ram tries to grab one of them, but it burns his hand. And, you know, when you have a burnt hand, you let go of your ladder. That's right. <laughs> and you fall to your death, Hans Gruber style. It's like the weirdest cliche. It's like, oh, well, this is George again. Um, <laughs> we had a guy who burned his hand last movie, so let's do that again. I want that to be my trademark. Burned hands. Is anyone doing that? No, it's, it's just you, George. Fuck yeah. It's just Georgie. I own the burned hand market. And you just wait to see what I do with the end of Empire. It'll blow your fucking mind, Steven. <laughs> when Molaram drops the third rug, Indy catches it, and it's not hot anymore, like instantly, which is great for Indy. <laughs> it's great timing, yes. And he watches Rum fall, get eaten by crocodiles, and he just climbs up to the top of the bridge, and uh, the Blumbert and all of his Indian riflemen arrive, and they help defeat the rest of the thuggy. Hooray! And you can tell that they're not thuggy because they're wearing blue instead That's of red. Right. This movie is not colorblind. <laughs> it knows exactly what it's doing. Yes, it does. That's a problem. It, yeah. Indy, Willie, and Shorty triumphantly return to the village with the sacred stone and the kids. And I love this so much because I have to imagine that there was like a conversation that happened down the hill that Indy walks over where he's like, no, kids, I'm going to need you to... Uh, Stay there until it's dramatically appropriate for you to appear over the hill. So the three of us heroes are going to walk in. You, you wait. You wait till the signal. And then uh, we're going to get our hero shot. And then the kids will join. You, you got that? You got all that? You starving slave children who just want to go home? You can't see your moms yet. Give Papa Indy his moment. Get off of my moment. <laughs> This has always bugged me, but it's classic Hollywood moment right here. Absolutely. And then the kids return, and everybody's very happy. And Willie tells Indy that she's not cut out for the adventurer's life and is going back to Missouri. And he's like, mm, no, I'm going to whip you over here to me, and we're going to do the kiss. In front of all these strangers, because they're and all just waiting for us to kiss, staring, even though they've just been reunited after the slave children came home. They want right. to watch two white people kiss. <laughs> no, Mom, I don't want lunch. I want to watch these two kiss. And Short Round's elephant's like, I want to spray them with water. That's right. He wants to really keep them in check. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. I'm so hungry, and all this lust is filling me up. <laughs> oh, I couldn't possibly eat until these two kiss. <laughs> and that is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom from 1984, directed by the Steven fucking Spielberg. Yep. I think it's still my least favorite indie movie. So far of the three I've seen, I will agree with you. The tone is really, really, really dark. Yes. And I understand why, but as someone who's worked on a film set before, I don't understand why. <laughs> like, I get it, but also I don't get it. This movie is so mean to women. Like, it's almost... No, it's not almost. It is offensive. It's like Spielberg and Lucas put all of their hatred and their thoughts into what a woman is into like Willie and made yes. her so over the top and complaining and loud. And you want nothing to do with Willie. There's almost no charm behind that entire character. Yeah. I mean, her full name in the novelization is actually Wilhelmina as in the Wilhelm scream, because all she does the whole movie is scream. I don't care for it. And I think she is the major problem with this movie. That and all the racism. 
yeah, the racism's absolutely there as well. But she, I, I, I get why they needed a female character, or else this movie doesn't work at all. <laughs> right. I don't understand why they had to make her that over the top. Yeah, yeah. It was not in good taste. No, it was in fact in bad taste. Right. And my other big issue with this movie is that it drags. Yes, absolutely. And when Lucas saw the rough cut of this thing, the first thing he said was, it's too fast. We need to slow it down and give it room to breathe. <sighs> so then you got a whole lot more like mat shots to set up locations. You slowed up a lot of things that happened in the cave to, I guess, make it more dramatic or whatever. It's like, don't do that. Yeah. Once you get your foot on the gas, go. Keep going. I feel like the pacing is just all over the place. You lose all of your momentum when you do that. Do you want to find out what the critics thought of this thing? Oh, we might as well. What are you thinking? Rotten Tomatoes 1-100. Go ahead. Oh, 78. 84. And the audience scores 81. Okay. Roger Ebert saw this thing, and he gave it four out of four stars. Oh, boy. He says, Steven Spielberg's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is one of the greatest bruised forearm movies ever made. You know what a bruised forearm movie is? That's the kind of movie where your date is always grabbing your forearm in a vice-like grip as unbearable excitement unfolds on the screen. After the movie is over, you've had a great time, but your arm is black and blue for a week. (laughs) Uh, That paints a mental picture, and I love it. He goes on to say, this movie is one of the most relentlessly nonstop action pictures ever made, with a virtuoso series of climactic sequences that must last an hour and never stop for a second. It's a roller coaster ride, a visual extravaganza, a technical triumph, and a whole lot of fun. And it's not simply a retread of Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first Indiana Jones movie. It works in a different way and borrows from different traditions. That's all very true, except for, you know, the whole pacing bit. That's completely wrong. (laughs) He finishes by saying, this is the most cheerfully exciting, bizarre, goofy, romantic adventure movie since Raiders. And it is high praise to say that it's not so much a sequel as an equal. It's quite an experience. You stagger out with a silly grin and a bruised forearm, of course. Uh, He doubled down on the forearm thing. Did he say romantic in there? He sure did. That's (laughs) fascinating. Because I have an actual IMDb trivia fact. Okay. In 1984, Kate Capshaw appeared on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson to promote Temple of Doom. Right after she promoted the film and did her interview with Johnny, Siskel and Ebert came on and did their roundup of recent films playing. They both slammed Kate Capshaw's performance in Temple of Doom, calling it wimpy and whiny. Capshaw replied, please don't talk about me like I'm not here. I am here. (laughs) I love that they just treated it like she's invisible. It's a lot like Norm MacDonald, Conan O'Brien, and whoever that girl was in Chairman of the Board. Oh, yeah. Just talk (laughs) around her, I suppose. (laughs) That is interesting, though, that Ebert and, I guess, Siskel would say that about that performance. Yeah. They do not bring it up, I don't think, in the Roger Ebert review. I didn't read all of it. I only read the top and the bottom, because he generally just starts doing word jumble in the middle and i don't care right right that's the only way to read his reviews probably a few more <laughs> bruised forearm jokes in there our good friends on letterboxd had quite a bit to say about this movie let's hear it from march 27th 2018 the best part of this movie is how indy is just soaked in sweat from beginning to end <laughs> the man is constantly drenched no matter what he's wearing or how he's feeling and it's so funny that it almost transcends the movie's extreme racism <laughs> Almost. Almost. (laughs) (laughs) 
From May 5th, 2020, we were playing code names, so I wasn't really paying attention. Spielberg is a master of blocking. The Lao Che plane gag is so good. Our team lost code names. <laughs> From December 4th, 2021, in terms of narrative and visuals alone, this is by far the best Indiana Jones film. But fuck me, this is an uncomfortable watch. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know, is that, is that accurate? The fuck me, it's uncomfortable to watch? Yeah, sometimes. Oh, 100% agree with that one. The best Indiana Jones film? No! Hard pass. From February 9th, 2021, so they've built an army of child slaves in order to kill God. <laughs> and this is only the second movie in the franchise. <laughs> Wow. Brick, where did you get a hand grenade? <laughs> because this escalated quickly. Wow. I love it. From August 13th, 2021, this made me realize that my grandma and I have the same taste in men. <laughs> oh, that's uncomfortable. Just a little uncomfortable. Yes. And it doesn't skip a generation, I don't think, either. Your mom's definitely thinking of it, too. Yeah. <laughs> and the last one I have is from May 4th, 2018. The way to a man's heart is through his ribcage. <laughs> Kalima. That's right. <laughs> How about we give this thing a super stuff score? Let's do that. Start off with story and motivation. I don't know what the story and motivation actually is. Because you have the whole Lao Che thing up front, and I'm not even considering that part of the movie. Right, that's the like narrative a little, form. the preamble. It's a James Bond opening. That's yes. exactly what it is. But when they get to India, he wants to find a stone with the children as an afterthought. Yes. And I guess he kind of does keep that motivation the entire way through because it is about the stone. And after he gets the stone, he's like, oh, yeah, those kids. Oh, should right. Probably free we should them probably too. free the kids. I guess that means he has a motivation. It's just not a, the correct one. All right. Uh, I'm going to go 0.75. Because it feels wrong. It feels but it's wrong, there. but it's there. So 0.75. A dirty 0.75 even. It's the dirtiest. Hero. It's Indiana fucking Jones. It is. He does have to get bailed out twice, though. Once by Willie and once by Short Round. But an Indiana Jones movie doesn't work unless he gets bailed out. So I feel like his sidekicks or his team or whatever it is around him are just as important as the hero himself. Yeah. It's Indiana fucking Jones. It's I'm going to go... 0.75 again. 0.75 again. I cannot give him the one. I was going to say, I was like, not, not a full one on that one? Weird. Can't do it. <laughs> cannot do it. Villains. Is it Malaram? I Or guess. is it just Kali Ma? Maybe. It almost feels, and this is the movie saying this, not me, like the evil doers are just brown people. That's also true. I feel like this does something interesting because- with the Indiana Jones movies that we've seen so far, those are the ones we're going to talk about right now, which is The Lost Ark and Temple of Doom. Right. In our show canon, if you will. There's not so much one evil person that he's going up against. It's always a group of some sort. Right. So is it the thuggy? Maybe? I guess, the yeah. Same time. So it is very complicated. I'm going to go 0.5 because Amrish Puri fucking destroys this he's movie. He's so good. And I don't care what motivations are getting mixed up where... He's that good. He is. And, and you know, maybe he has a generic, like, I'm going to rule the world kind of plan, but uh, damn it, he is evil. He really is. Point five. Parents or teamwork? There's a little bit of teamwork in this one. He's got a sidekick. Right. So that's something. He's, he's got his 
his short round that he carries around with him. I'm going to go 0.5. Uh, I feel like him and short round are great together, and Willie is there. She exists for sudden sexual tension. It's the best type of sexual tension. It's got to be stubborn, though, or I'm out. Exactly. <laughs> that brings us to female characters. I want to go zero and call it a day. Okay, my finger was already on the minus button, but we can call it a zero. I like Indiana Jones. That's that's fine. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. A combination of fair and fine, I think. It's fan. Perfect. Zero for females. Setting. It's kind of everywhere. Because you have India. Right. Which is actually Sri Lanka. Right. <laughs> because they showed the script to the Indian government and they said, oh, absolutely not. Which was the right answer. Absolutely. You have Idaho and California, weirdly enough, also, because that's where they did the mountains and the streams. Right. And it's also a heavy, heavy, heavy studio movie. Yes. And there's actually a touch of Florida in there, too, with the, the, the gators. The alligators? Yeah. Yeah. It's the right place to go for it. Yeah. Especially if you're looking for crocodile. Whoops. Messed that up. That's right. <laughs> I kind of want to go like 0.75 because you do have a cool looking world here that's built, but it feels built. Most of this takes place in the temple. Right. And the temple does look really cool. It does. But I can't get it out of my head that you're on a set the entire time. Yeah. And it feels that claustrophobic that this doesn't exist. Yeah. Especially when they start reusing the same section of the miniature mine cart and they just change the lighting. That's all it was. <laughs> Movie magic? Yeah. Totally magic. I'll go 0.5 again. 0.5 I'll split again. The difference on this because a lot of the stuff they pulled off is very cool. Yes. But you know that they pulled it off. Right. And it's it's the movie that uses the least amount of the map graphic. Only once. So you get punished for that. Point you five. Do. Style and tone. I'm going to go one. It looks, again, awesome. It does. Absolutely. It is dark as all get up. Yep. And it stays dark. It stays the dark. The entire time. It's a consistent tone. Whether or not it's the appropriate one. You know, it's too late for us to determine. This came out a long time ago. So, one for style and tone. One. Music. John fucking Williams John does fucking it Williams. again. He just sends it every time. I like it. I don't love it. But there's a lot that works with it. A lot of what works is what was reused from the last movie. Exactly. And there are some additions that I think are great. Yes. Like the Indian Willie theme, I actually like quite a bit. It's a shame that it had to be used... On Indian Willie. Exactly. Let's go 1.25 because he starts at one anyway. That's right. John because Williams it's John starts fucking at Williams. 1.25 for music. One-liners. You have the antidote line right away, which yep. has been reused a countless amount of times. So much. Kali Ma is so famous that you don't even have to have seen the movie to know what it references. I feel like anything Short Round says is a one-liner. Yep. Like, very funny. I know that instantly. Yeah. No time for love, Dr. Jones. That, exactly. Any kind of Dr. Jones. <laughs> Let's go one. Call it a day. Go one. One. It's loaded. It, there's a ton of them. And finally, impact on the genre. They got another. Got <laughs> it's another. To get another whole time, though. And we already, if, you, if you're one of our patrons, you heard us talk about the effect that this movie and Gremlins had on the rating system of movies. This movie was so dark that they said, well, it's kind of gross enough that only adults should see it. But then there's also like kid parts that it's kind of charming and maybe it's not that bad for Like when people um, get bonked in the head and it makes a noise. Yeah. What do we do with that? Um, uh, PG. 
because it definitely didn't qualify for R. And Steven Spielberg actually called the MPAA and said, maybe we should rethink this whole rating system thing and there should be something in between. Yeah. And there you go. We have PG-13 now. Because of this movie. And a little bit Gremlins. A little bit Gremlins as well. But that's not the genre. However, the genre is mostly PG-13 movies. That's a very, very good point. Let's go 0.75. I cannot, in good faith, give this one a one again. We definitely can't give it a two and a half. No, 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 no. That would be insane. <laughs> is that what Gremlins got? No, that's what Raiders got. Oh. Yeah, let's go 0.75. 0.75, which will bring Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom to the total score of seven. I feel like that's too high for some reason. It does but... feel a little high, especially when you consider that Steven Spielberg doesn't like the movie. What? <laughs> he has said, uh, in 1989, he said, I wasn't happy with Temple Doom at all. It was too dark, too subterranean, and much too horrific. I think it outpoltered poltergeist. There's not one ounce of my own personal feeling in Temple of Doom. And then he later added in another documentary, The Making of Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, Temple of Doom is my least favorite of the trilogy. I look back and I say, well, the greatest thing that I got out of that was I met Kate Capshaw. We married years later, and that to me was the reason I was fated to make Temple of Doom. Fair enough. Uh, he's a winner either way. Yeah. So good on you, Steven. Sorry you didn't like your movie. Glad you met a wife. And you just made a buttload of money. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> so, Brian, I got to ask you this because I sprinkled in a lot of IMDb trivia facts. Yeah. What do you think were mine? I know for a fact I made a couple of them obvious, but I'm curious to see what you think I did. Okay. I have three here. Okay. The first one I have is, Harrison Ford worked as a carpenter before he was an actor. He does not work with wood in this film. Yeah, that was the first one I entered. That was my starter. That was my aperitif to wet your whistle. Right. Set the mood. Set the tone. Second one I have here is, Harrison Ford chose to do this movie instead of a live-action Pinocchio film, despite him relating more to the character of Geppetto due to him being a carpenter before he started professionally acting. Harrison Ford, not Geppetto. Geppetto can create life from wood, but cannot create believable performances due to not being professionally trained. Yep, that's two you sussed me out on. <laughs> Very good. And the third one I have here is the sales of minecarts went up 1,138% after the release of this film. You're three for three. Good job. <laughs> That's a little THX reference there for Georgie Lucas. That, um, those were a lot of fun. The Geppetto one, I laughed out loud when I read it. Wait till you see what I got in Last Crusade. Oh, I can't wait. I'm both terrified and very excited. Which, I guess, leads us to say, what do we talk about next week? Yeah, it's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah, you dummy. Why'd you ask that? And you've never seen it. And No, that's true. Raiders is my favorite Indiana Jones movie. But I think my favorite Indiana Jones movie might also be Last Crusade. But okay. my favorite's definitely Raiders, but then it's also Last Crusade. Oh, okay. Is this like a Guardian situation? Yep, it's exactly what it is. Whichever one I've seen most recently. I cannot wait for you to watch this movie. I'm very intrigued. Now, I, it's the only one I haven't seen now, so can't wait. Until then, thank you for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Join us on Patreon this month for Groundhog Day, which... This feels appropriate because it's just Indiana Jones after Indiana Jones after Indiana Jones after Indiana Jones, just like Groundhog Day. That's right. <laughs> uh, email us your questions and comments at katepodcasters at gmail.com. We have an email from Michael P.S. Warren. Hi, Michael. It is entitled The Capies from a few weeks ago. Sure. Dear Kate Podcasters, awesome episode. 
This past year, you guys have helped make my life better. You've given me hours of entertainment, which helps make those slow days at work go by just a little faster. And for that, I am grateful. I missed my chance to put in a Capies Award, so I figured I'd submit it now. Hell yeah! What's your most anticipated movie for 2022? I think we all know the answer is The Master of Disguise. He said a trap. That's entrapment. That's, that's entrapment. That's what that is. Yes, Michael, in 2022, we will at some point talk about The Master of Disguise. I guess Master of Disguise has to happen. At some point. It's a long year. Right. There's lots of weeks. Michael, thank you so much for your kind words and writing in and also for bringing down the mood of the show here at the end. <laughs> but for real, thank you, thank you, thank you. He ends his email with, thanks for all you do, Michael P.S. Warren. P.S. Seriously, though, I can't wait till you talk about The Punisher from 2004. Maybe a special episode on The Punisher game that came out the same year. Ooh, double dip. Yeah, well, triple dip if you count Master of Disguise. That's true, Michael. Good for you, man. Way to produce. So yeah, be like Michael. Send us an email, gmail.com. Also, follow us on our social media at Podcasters, especially on Facebook, where we're always posting on the day we record, asking for your questions and comments. And we got a number of them for this one. Awesome. Phil Hawkins said, if you can give yourself an Indiana Jones-style name, what would it be? <laughs> he said, I'd call myself Nebraska Conrad. Nebraska Conrad. Power behind it. Yeah. Like some sort of weird get-off-my-lawn attitude. Right. <laughs> I don't think I have that kind of demeanor. Mine would probably be more like a, like a Newfoundland O'Shaughnessy. <laughs> That's so complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to make it easy on anyone. No, no. I feel like mine would be, well, you got to go like state first, right? Or place first? Yeah. State or province. I went province. <laughs> I got one. <laughs> Florida man. <laughs> is that with two N's? Yep. Sure. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Florida man. Yeah. See, you can at least shorten mine to, to Newfie. If you really have to. Yeah, <laughs> like, you like could, Andy. I guess. That's right. <laughs> also, Newfoundland, the dog breed, we'll get there. Oh, no. What did I do? <laughs> Next question we have. Jeff Miners. He asked, is there a porn adaptation called The Temple of Poon with Indiana Bones? <laughs> oh, I sure hope so. It's going incognito mode. <laughs> and yes, there is. Is that the actual title? No. But there's San Fernando Jones and the Temple of Poon <laughs> from 2000. But then before that, even there's the Temple of Poon from 1996. Fine. There's Indiana Joan in the black hole of Mamu. <laughs> okay. I did just read that there was a Raiders of the Lost Arse. So. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And what's weirder is I found the answer to the Crystal Falls one on UltimateGuitar.com. <laughs> That's where I search for all my porn parodies. And if I keep going down this, there's Schindler's Fist, <laughs> Boner Wars, Pulp Friction, Reservoir Dogging, The Italian Blowjob, <laughs> Indiana Jones, Edward Penis Hands, Shaving Ryan's Privates, Harriet Potter and the Philosopher's Bone, <laughs> The Fist Tricks. Wow. None of these can be real. There's just no way. But it's just people having fun with words. There's no tits a wonderful life? <laughs> there's not. Every time a bell rings. An angel gets a ball gag. I don't know. <laughs> Jeff, thank you. I guess. I think. Donnie, he's in his element. He asks, P, 
pick an indie prop to own. You got hat, whip, and jacket. Ooh, I think it's got to be hat. I'm 100% going hat. Yeah, I think it's the most recognizable thing has been like, that's Indiana Jones right there. Start tumbling around on the ground and whatnot, letting it fall off your head, then dramatically reaching back and grabbing it before ever you leave every room. Of course. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Donnie, thank you. Last question we have is from Stephen Baker. He asks, what organ would you most like to eat on a monkey? And also, what's the least? Oh, boy. Because in this, we did have the chilled monkey brains. We did have chilled monkey brains. Can I not? Can, can we just not? Brian, we got to answer, man. Okay. I can't I, bail. I think I have the same answer for both. <laughs> okay. And it's baboon ass. Yeah, that went through my mind way too quickly, too. Yeah. Just a nice <laughs> hunk of red. Exactly. Steven, no thank you. Nope. No, how dare you? Brian, you got anything else? That's it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see you guys next week for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Same pod time? Same pod, Kalima! Kalima!